Hello, I'm Galen Connell, and I work as a knowledge broker with the Canadian Chiropractic Guideline Initiative, also known as the CCGI. I'm here to present an overview of the recent CCGI Guideline Summary on the Management of Shoulder Pain. In this brief summary, I will explain the scope and purpose of the guideline and key recommendations. If you'd like to follow along with this narration, then download the Guideline Summary from the CCGI website at chiroguidelines.org under the Guidelines tab. The title of this guideline is Enabling Recovery from Common Traffic Injuries, a focus on the injured person, management of shoulder pain. The guideline was developed by the Ontario Protocol for Traffic Injury Management, or Optima, collaboration in 2015. The CCGI recommends the use of this guideline based on its quality and reporting as per the Appraisal of Guidelines Research and Evaluation Tool, the Agree To tool, which is available upon request. This guideline was based on recent systematic reviews of high-quality studies. A multidisciplinary expert panel considered the evidence of effectiveness, safety, cost-effectiveness, societal and ethical values, and patient experiences when formulating recommendations. So let's start off with the scope and purpose of this guideline. The objective of this guideline is to promote uniform, high-quality care for individuals with shoulder pain. The guideline itself aims to provide information that will help accelerate recovery, reduce intensity of symptoms, promote early restoration of function, prevent chronic pain and disability, improve health-related quality of life, reduce recurrences, and promote active participation of patients in their care. So the target population is individuals with shoulder pain, of less than six months duration. And the target users are healthcare professionals. The definition of shoulder conditions by this guideline was soft tissue disorders, uh, including grades one and two sprains or strains, tendinitis, bursitis, and impingement syndrome affecting the glenohumeral and acromioclavicular joints. This does not include conditions like adhesive capsulitis or instability. The duration of symptoms has been defined as recent onset or persistent. Recent onset including conditions that are under three months in duration and persistent being symptoms that are between three to six months duration. Now key recommendations have been given for assessment, education, and self-management and treatment of shoulder conditions. So for an assessment, we need to rule out risk factors for serious pathologies. These include unexplained deformity, swelling, erythema of the skin, significant weakness not due to pain, past history of malignancy, suspected malignancy, uh, which may be accompanied by con- symptoms of weight loss or, or loss of appetite, uh, fevers, chills, or malaise, significant unexplained sensory or motor deficits, pulmonary or vascular compromise, inability to perform any movements, and pain at rest. It's also important to conduct an ongoing assessment for symptom improvement or progression during intervention and refer accordingly. It's also important to discharge the injured person as appropriate at any point during intervention and recovery. Now, regarding education and self-management, 
It's important to offer information on the nature, management, and course of shoulder pain as a framework for initiation of a program of care. We want to aim to understand the patient's beliefs and expectations about shoulder pain and address any misunderstandings or apprehension through education and reassurance. For example, herd equals harm. It's also important to educate and reassure the patient about benign and self-limited nature of shoulder pain and reinforce the importance of maintaining activities of daily living. A sample script when educating patients with grade one shoulder sprains or strains can include something like this. In general, there is no major pathology underlying your shoulder condition and your shoulder pain will improve over time. The goal of the care plan is to provide clinical treatment that helps resolve symptoms and restore function to allow you to perform your normal daily activities. It's helpful to remain active, continue moving the shoulder region, and perform your normal activities of daily living within tolerance throughout your program of care. Now, as we move on to treatment or interventions that have been recommended by the guideline, we start with recent onset shoulder pain, which again is conditions within three months duration. This is also known by many as acute or subacute. So based on shared decision-making between the patient and provider, any one of the following therapeutic interventions is recommended. Low-level laser therapy for short-term pain reduction, spinal manipulation or mobilization as an adjunct to usual care for shoulder pain with associated pain or restricted movement to the cervicothoracic spine, as well as multimodal care that includes a combination of heat or cold, joint mobilization, range of motion exercise, and range of motion exercises include daily home range of motion exercises uh, that are progressively loaded, functional movements of the arm, incorporating free weights or elastic resistance as required. Range of motion includes shoulder abduction, flexion, extension, horizontal flexion, and extension, uh, hand behind the back. And before I go on too much further, I should explain that these interventions that have been recommended, they're based on shared decision-making between the patient and provider. Shared decision-making has been defined as an approach where clinicians and patients share the best available evidence when faced with the task of making decisions, and where patients are supported to consider options to achieve informed preferences. One of these recommended interventions is low-level laser therapy for short-term pain reduction. If you're reading the guideline summary at home, then you'll notice that there are several specifications for low-level laser therapy as an intervention for managing recent-onset shoulder pain. You'll notice recommendations for peak power and energy and, and wavelength. And so you might want to review the specifications of the laser unit in your clinic, or if you are considering purchasing one, it might be worth discussing this with the manufacturer to ensure that they're able to uh, reach these types of specifications. Interventions that are not recommended for recent onset shoulder pain include dicutaneous fibrolysis, which is a manual technique to treat the mechanical pain of the musculoskeletal system. Uh, ultrasound and IFC, or interferential current therapy, are also not recommended. For persistent shoulder pain of three to six months duration, based on shared decision-making between the patient and provider, any one of the following therapeutic interventions is recommended. Low-level laser therapy for short-term pain reduction, Strengthening and stretching exercises, which include home-based strengthening and stretching of the rotator cuff and scapulohumeral muscles. 
One study evaluated home exercise instruction by a therapist with one to two follow-up visits. Participants were asked to perform two stretches, pectoralis minor and posterior shoulder, for 30 seconds each repetition and five repetitions each day. A muscle relaxation exercise for the upper trapezius was also performed five times daily by having the participants raise the arm overhead in the scapular plane without shrugging the shoulder. Relaxation was enhanced through visual input by performing the exercise in front of a mirror or by proprioceptive input by placing the uninvolved hand on the active upper trapezius. In another study, participants were instructed to perform progressive resistance strengthening exercises three days per week for two muscle groups. This included dumbbell punches for the serratus anterior muscle and humeral external rotation with a blue TheraBand. For both strengthening exercises, participants were instructed to perform three sets of 10 repetitions the first week, then progress to three sets of 15 repetitions the second week, and three sets of 20 repetitions the third week. After achieving three sets of 20 repetitions for three consecutive sessions, participants were to further progress their program by increasing weight resistance or TheraBand tension and repeating the repetition of sequence as described. Participants were instructed that exercises may induce muscle fatigue but should not cause increased shoulder pain. Other recommendations for persistent shoulder pain include usual GP care, which can include information, recommendations, and pain contingent medical or pharmaceutical therapy. It also includes spinal manipulation and mobilization as an adjunct to usual care for shoulder pain with associated pain or restricted movement of the cervicothoracic spine. It's also recommended to include supervised combined strengthening and stretching exercise. For low-grade nonspecific shoulder pain, consider supervised strengthening and stretching exercises. This can include eight repetitions of progressive shoulder flexion, extension, internal rotation, external rotation, strengthening, two sets twice a week for eight weeks. Or it can include a home-based five repetitions of stretching of pectoralis minor and posterior shoulder per day, um, 10 to 20 repetitions of progressive strengthening for rotator cuff and serratus anterior, uh, three sets per week for eight weeks. And lastly, multimodal care can be included. Uh, any combination of the following, heat or cold, joint mobilization, and range of motion exercise. These should be considered if they haven't previously been given in the past three months of care. Interventions that are not recommended for persistent shoulder pain include dicutaneous fibrolysis, shockwave therapy, cervical mobilizations alone by themselves, ultrasound, interferential current therapy, and interestingly, multimodal care that includes a combination of exercise, mobilization, taping, psychological interventions, and massage. Now, this is one recommendation that is a bit confusing to, to readers, but it refers to a specific multimodal program of care that includes the combination of exercise, mobilization, taping, psychological interventions, and massage. And although multimodal care is recommended in the previous statements, range of motion exercises, joint mobilization, and heat or cold, the evidence suggests that there, are, there is no additional benefit to adding other interventions, for example, taping or psychological interventions and massage. 
And as we shift towards a different condition, calcific tendonitis, the guideline makes a recommendation for recent onset shoulder pain with calcific tendonitis, so within three months duration. Calcific tendinopathy is a disorder of the shoulder of unknown etiology, characterized by the formation of deposits of calcium crystals in one or several of the rotator cuff tendons. Tendon inflammation located around the deposits and increased intratendinous pressure are thought to contribute to pain. And based on shared decision-making between the patient and provider, it's recommended that shockwave therapy be considered. Now, lastly, patients with worsening of symptoms and those who develop new physical, mental, or psychological symptoms should be referred to a physician for further evaluation at any point in time during their care. And patients who have not significantly improved or recovered should be referred to the physician for further evaluation. That wraps up our, our guideline on management of shoulder conditions by Optima. If you're looking at the guideline summary through our website, you may also be able to view our care pathways and algorithms for the management of shoulder pain. If you're a visual learner, this might be a useful tool when integrating this into your practice. Thanks for listening. I'd like to move on from the guideline summary and present case scenarios to help apply knowledge that was gained during the previous section. I've asked chiropractic student Madison Bale to help narrate these case scenarios. She'll provide a brief case history and we'll go from there. As a reminder, the title of the reviewed guideline is Enabling Recovery from Common Traffic Injuries, a focus on the injured person, management of shoulder pain. The guideline was developed by the Ontario Protocol for Traffic Injury Management, or Optima, collaboration in 2015. Our first case begins with Mrs. Jones. She's a 58-year-old office administrator with left mechanical shoulder pain of five months duration. Her pain is intermittent and worse at the end of a workday and with lifting. At its worst, her pain is rated as 3 out of 10 on a numeric rating scale. She has pain over the shoulder joint and the proximal arm that are exacerbated by active shoulder internal rotation and flexion. Shoulder impingement tests, near and Hawken Kennedy are positive. Given Mrs. Jones's presentation, how would you classify her condition and what interventions would be appropriate for her case? So the Optima guideline categorizes this as persistent shoulder pain. Uh, they also recommend the use of any one of the following interventions. Low-level laser therapy, home-based strengthening and stretching exercises, usual GP care, which includes information, recommendations, and pain-contingent medical or pharmaceutical therapy. It includes spinal manipulation and mobilization as an adjunct to usual care for shoulder pain with associated pain or restricted movement of a cervicothoracic spine, or includes supervised combined strengthening and stretching exercises. Can you expand on the home-based strengthening and stretching exercises? Which exercises should be included? Well, one example of home-based exercise prescription, based on one of the included studies in the Optima guideline, is daily stretching of, of pectoralis minor and posterior shoulder. So those were, in those guidelines, 30-second holds, uh, five repetitions per day. And it also included relaxation exercises for upper trapezius. Um, and progressive strengthening for serratus anterior and rotator cuff for three times a week. The serratus anterior exercise was performed as a dumbbell punch where the patient is supine with a straight arm holding a dumbbell at 90 degrees flexion, and the patient performs protraction of the scapula during that movement. The second exercise is external rotation with the elbow at the torso uh, using a resistance band 
you know, week one involves three sets of 10 repetitions. Week two involved three sets of 15 repetitions. Week three involves three sets of 20 repetitions. So you can notice that progression with each week. Resistance can be increased after three sessions of performing three sets of 20 repetitions. Moving on to the second case, Mr. Davis is a 29-year-old lawyer with three weeks of right shoulder pain. His pain is rated as 4 out of 10, which is made worse by pulling or laying on the affected side. He reports no neurological symptoms. He presents with pain during active shoulder flexion, abduction, and external rotation. He demonstrates positive shoulder impingement tests near in Hawkin Kennedy. You decide to provide multimodal care that includes a combination of which treatments? According to the Optima guideline, multimodal care for recent onset shoulder pain can include heat, joint mobilization to the cervicothoracic spine and glenohumeral joint, and range of motion exercise, which include daily home range of motion exercises with progressively loaded functional movements of the arm, incorporating free weights or elastic resistance as required. Range of movement includes shoulder abduction, flexion, extension, horizontal flexion and extension, and hand behind the back. Looking back at this case, which outcome measure could you have given Mr. Davis? Uh, the dash or disability of arm, shoulder, and hand would be a good choice. The dash is a self-administered region-specific outcome instrument developed as a measure of self-rated upper extremity disability and symptoms. Mr. Mike is a 40-year-old welder with chronic shoulder impingement symptoms of four months duration. He demonstrates a painful arc and a positive shoulder impingement tests near and Hawking Kennedy. He exhibits pain in resistant shoulder flexion and abduction. He also has pain with palpation of supraspinatus and infraspinatus tendon insertion. You decide to refer this patient to a kinesiologist in your clinic, but want to provide specific exercises. Which exercises do you prescribe? In one of the included Optima studies, two traditional at-home rotator cuff strengthening exercises were given. Internal and external rotation resisted with an elastic band. Each exercise was performed once a day for three sets of 10 repetitions. Patients were instructed to perform the exercise at a speed of six seconds per repetition. So that looks like two seconds in the concentric phase, two seconds in the isometric phase, and two seconds in the eccentric phase totaling six seconds. The color of the resistance band was chosen so that the patient did not experience significantly more pain during the exercise than at rest. Load was increased by changing color of the elastic band as soon as the pain decreased. In this study, they also described a heavy load eccentric exercise at home. The eccentric phase of full can, so thumb up abduction in the scapular plane was performed with a dumbbell weight. Patients were instructed to perform the eccentric phase at a speed of 5 seconds per repetition. Three sets of 15 repetitions were performed twice a day. The starting position of the eccentric phase at full scapular abduction had to be pain-free, and if not, patients were advised to stretch out the arm at a slightly lower degree of scapular abduction. Dosing the eccentric exercises was based on a pain monitoring model so these three conditions had to be met during these exercises. 
During the last set of 15 repetitions, the patient may feel pain exceeding what they feel at rest, but no more than a score of 5 on the VAS is allowed. The second condition is that pain after the exercise should not exceed 5 on the VAS and should have subsided the following morning. And lastly, pain should not increase from day to day. Now, whenever the pain was no longer present during the last set of repetitions, the dumbbell weight was increased by half a kilogram. Patients were seen twice a week for eight weeks in the study. This is our final case. A 71-year-old woman was referred by her GP to a chiropractic clinic for management of shoulder pain. She complained of a two-month history of constant, severe pain in the right shoulder region. This pain also radiated beneath her scapula into the right axilla around the right chest wall. The pain was exacerbated by walking, sitting, and turning in bed. There was no arm pain or paresthesia. The patient reported right-hand symptoms of grip weakness, loss of dexterity, and a feeling of her arm not belonging to her. On closer questioning, she also reported chest tightness beyond that which she normally associated with her history of asthma. She also reported reduced appetite and sleep disturbance. Her weight was steady. She was a long-term heavy smoker. She had undergone an aortic valve replacement five years earlier. On examination, this patient had a normal shoulder. Cervical and thoracic spine movements were restricted and painful. The patient was noted to be short of breath and complained of increased pain and chest tightness on deep breathing. There was no neurological deficit in the upper limbs. Pain was exacerbated by palpating the upper thoracic spinous processes and the facet and rib joints. What are your differential diagnoses? This patient has not undergone any investigations prior to attending the clinic. Perhaps you'd like to obtain a bone scan or other form of imaging to investigate further. Shoulder region pain, though a common presentation in a chiropractic clinic, rarely causes the clinician to become suspicious of an apical lung tumor. However, a number of features of this patient's history and diagnosis gives rise to a suspicion of a condition which was non-musculoskeletal in origin. This patient, in fact, was diagnosed with a Pancos tumor. This patient does not complain of a mechanical pain pattern. Pain was reported on activities that are not normally considered troublesome in musculoskeletal shoulder pain such as resting and walking. In addition to a normal shoulder examination, this patient also describes symptoms of constant severe pain, sleep disturbance, arm weakness, chest tightness, and reduced appetite. It therefore becomes important to consider patterns of shoulder pain which might be manifestations of non-musculoskeletal conditions, such as gynecological, rheumatological, gastrointestinal, cardiorespiratory, and neurological disease. This case highlights the need to rule out risk factors for serious pathologies. These include unexplained deformity, swelling, or erythema of the skin, significant weakness not due to pain, past history of malignancy, suspected malignancy, for example, weight loss or loss of appetite, fever, chills, malaise, significant unexplained sensory or motor deficits, pulmonary or vascular compromise, inability to perform any movements, and pain at rest. This case also highlights the need to conduct ongoing assessment for symptom improvement or progression and refer accordingly. In this case, referring back to the family physician or ER. This case was adapted from BMJ Case Reports published in 2013. And this wraps up our case reports. 
Thank you for listening. Bye for now.